0: Welcome home, you're listening to 180 Church Podcast. Hi fam, Dr. Sammy and the podcast crew are on a break this week enjoying their summer. However, please tune in and have a listen to a message from a leader in our local community. Enjoy! Today's sermon is given by Pastor Billy Kim, Director of Communications at 180 Church and Chaplain at NYU. All right, so we're back in our series on Holy Ghost, and I actually want to continue our conversation about calling because uh, the truth is, in every human heart, we want to know that fundamental question, you know, uh, why are we here on earth, and what is the purpose of our lives, right? That is the theological question that every human being struggles with and wants to find the answer to. Um, And we learned last month that The ultimate purpose and the ultimate calling on our lives is not the individual, but it's actually the eternal, meaning that the ultimate purpose in our lives is actually giving our lives to Jesus, living for Jesus, and inviting others to Jesus. And that's actually very important because I think for many of us, uh, we find ourselves um, in a state of anxiety and frustration and confusion when it comes to our purpose and calling because a lot of times we think that it's about us. Right? And culture perpetuates that you know, focusing more on the individual, saying that your ultimate purpose and calling is what you're really passionate about. Right? You've heard that before, commencement speeches. Right? It's like, find your ultimate passion because that will be your purpose. And you know, when I listen to that statement, I feel like it's very misconstruing because you know, it's in your 20s and in your 30s, how, like, and you're trying to look for your passion, it's almost impossible because if you're constantly struggling with your identity and we're trying to figure out who we really are, then what do we really, really like? And how do we really understand our passion if we don't know who we really are? And so I, it, ultimately when it comes to this idea of passion and calling, a lot of times, especially for us millennials and Gen Z, because we have now Gen Z in our church, right? We're, getting, <laughs> it's, it, we're there now. Um, a lot of times it's very crippling and it feels very overwhelming and we feel very stuck. And so what we learned last week, uh, not last week, what we learned last month, that the ultimate calling doesn't start in the individual level, but actually in the eternal level. And that's the foundation. It's the transcendence of, about God. Right? For example, you guys know JB, right? Justin Bieber? <laughs> right? Everyone knows JB. But JB, um, if you really think about his life, he fulfills every checklist, what the culture says about what it means to like, live out your call or your purpose in a way. You know, the dude is 26 global influence, married, um, and uh, he has, and he found out his talent in his early age um, and is incredibly successful. But if you read the tabloids, and I'll kind of follow him a little bit, right. um, but if you follow him a little bit, you, you, you notice that he actually struggles deeply with anxiety and depression. You know? and, and why is that? You know, he has everything in the world. He has everything what most of us actually want, but for him, it's still not enough. And that's because even in his life, a lot of it was about himself. And this, uh, this truth has to come into our life in this perspective where it's not so much about the once again, about the e- individual, but the eternal. And that's not just a, a theological, blanketed statement that we're talking about, but um, psychological research shows again and again that those who immerse themselves in something bigger than themselves, right bigger than their own lives actually live. Uh, a more satisfying life, a more content life, a more enjoyable life, and they actually let, uh, live longer. And in the Christian faith, what we believe and what, what we live by is that there's no other life to live and to immerse ourselves in and to what to give our lives in than Jesus himself. And so that's a quick recap, right? And so if that's what, we, that's what it is, where the fundamental uh, call in our lives is actually for Jesus and to live... Um, in the mission of Jesus then you know the follow-up question is okay so then what does that look like you know every day in our life right what does that look like when we go to work what does that look like when we go to school when we see our families you know what does it look like to live in the everyday uh, call that Jesus uh, is inviting us to and to frame that a little bit I, I want to mention a guy named uh, Tim, Tim Elmore um, the dude is actually a leadership expert for Gen Y and Gen Z, and he gave an, a, a fascinating, actually, uh, a study, and he said that even um, he said that psycho- uh, psychologists have shown that the most introverted person. How many people are introverted here? Right. I mean, a lot of you are raising your hands because half our, I think, more than half our church are introverts. Right. The most introverted person will actually encounter at least. 10,000 people in their lifetime. And now I know when, you, when I say that, most of the introverts just feel drained already. <laughs> right? They're like, you know, peeps or Pastor Billy, you know, even just being here is a lot with this many people. The idea of 10,000 people, oh my gosh. You know, and, and I, I share this um, because I want to help us understand how deep and how vast our actual social networks are, our social ties. You know, and you know, what is a social tie, right? Like I said before, it's a it's network. It's uh, another word for sphere of influence. Like, for example, Facebook, right, is what? A digital social network. That's the whole premise or uh, the origin of what it's about. It's supposed to connect us to our social ties, whether it's an acquaintance or it's actually very close. And those social ties practically are actually very important, right? For those of you guys, for those of you guys that look for jobs or are looking for jobs right now, those weak and strong ties actually matter because it gives you a higher percentage to actually find one, right? Because those ties, no matter how weak or strong, gives you the opportunity to give you get you information or a position of a job that you might not realize, right? Or might not get, but because of that contact, you actually have that available to you. And the reason why I want to bring that up about social ties and sphere of influence and all that stuff is because I want us to, to recognize how much actual how much power we actually really have within our social network, and we have that more than we realize. You know that's why I, I think I said this before in another uh, message. Why uh, companies would actually uh, hire influencers, normal average people like you and me, to perpetuate their products on their Instagram, right? Um, if you're like a 20k. If you have 20K followers or even, I think, even maybe even 10K or more, they'll give you 100, 200 bucks. And they'll give you free products to show off. If you're a little higher than that or much more higher than that, you know, you can make a living off of it. People have done that, right? But why do they do that? Because companies know, right, about your own power and your social ties and how much influence you have. They understand the science behind it. And what I'm saying is that these companies actually know the power of your influence and my influence better than we do. And so what I want to uh, bring up today is I want to help us recognize the power of our influence. Uh, The power of our sphere of influence and how vast it is. Because I believe that for many of us here, uh, we underestimate uh, how much impact that we could really have in our lives. I think a lot of us we underestimate um, and we don't think that we, can actu- uh, we don't think much of ourselves. Um, a lot of times we don't think much, we have much to actually offer. Um, and a lot of times we feel like we don't have much that we could actually make a difference too. And as a result, we underestimate actually the potential that God has in our lives, the growth that we could actually experience, and more imper- and more importantly, and the most important thing is the work that God wants to work through you and me. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how do we live out that calling every day in our lives and really uh, walk into uh, the, the influence that God has given each and every one of us. And we're going to go to Acts 3 and go, looking into the life of Peter and John to find out how. Now, if you don't know anything about Peter and John, and I'm sure most of you do, but if for those of you that might not know, they are two of Jesus' disciples. And if you actually look at the, va- uh, the wholeness of their lives, they are probably the most least likely uh, to be used by God. They are probably the least qualified. Um, in fact, these guys weren't the most intelligent. I was going to say the most smartest, but the most intelligent. Um, these guys weren't the most talented. Uh, these guys weren't even the most gifted. Right? Basically, they, had, they were fishermen by trade, so pretty much they were a blue-collar occupation. Uh, probably a high school education um, at most. Right? And even in their own occupation they weren't that spectacular, they were just very ordinary, normal people. But not only that, not only were they were the most average, ordinary people that you would meet, but they were very imperfect. You know, if you look at their life, they're always constantly struggling with their life doubting their faith, always missing the point when, it came, when Jesus was talking to them. You know, how many of you guys could actually relate to that? Constantly struggling with life and faith. And whenever, you know, you feel, when you talk about God and faith, you're just like, what does that mean again? You know, like in small group, a lot of times people were asking me, it's like, what's the question again? Right? You know, you know we, we feel like that. And that's actually the disciples. So a lot of us could relate. And they were very imperfect people. For example, Peter Peter was a guy that talked big, right? Um, But he would be a guy that would he would talk, he would, he would talk big, but he never walked a walk. You know, you know people like that, right? You know, people that would say a lot and say grand things, but their actions didn't show. Like, for example, there was a time where he actually told Jesus, he goes, I'm gonna be with you wherever you go, I'm gonna die with you. You are my ride or die brother. You know, that's what he said. And then uh, when push came to shove, um, and when his loyalty was tested on the line, he denied Jesus three times, three times, and even he even denied Jesus to a little girl, a little kid, because he was so afraid. He was a coward. And then you got someone like John, and John was very imperfect too, right? But he wasn't a coward. He was highly ambitious. How many people that are ambitious here, right? Many of you guys are very ambitious, and the dude was utterly selfish and self self self-absorbed. He wanted to be so, he wanted to be number one, and he wanted to be so great in his life that he would even leverage his own mom. Now, how do you do that, leverage your own mom to try to be number two or to be greatest in the kingdom of God? But that's what he did. But so there you have it. You have these two disciples, ones that is an incredible coward and someone that's totally self-absorbed and selfish, yet God chooses them to actually be used by him to represent him to actually make a difference. And, you know, when I I look at these two characters, that actually encourages me because, you know, a lot of times I look at that, I look at how ordinary they are and how imperfect they are. And if God could use them, then God could use me and you. And this is what we're going to see in this passage in Acts 3. And it says this. Verse 1 says this. This is one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And so the question you have to ask is why are they at the temple at 3 in the afternoon? Well Luke is trying to emphasize the the ordinary routine of their lives because in Jewish custom um, it was normal for every Jewish person to pray in three in the afternoon they would have a morning and in an the afternoon and some say even an evening as well so it's kind of like what we do every day like we wake up, go to work right I mean we take a shower, hopefully brush our teeth because I know some people there was a there was a a debate or a controversy that some people don't brush their teeth in the morning. So please brush your teeth, uh, you know, drink your coffee and go about your day, right? That's what Luke was emphasizing here is talking about the routine and the ordinary day that Peter and John were going into. And so what happens next, right? It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those who were going to the temple courts. So. Here Luke introduces a beggar, and he's introducing his routine everyday thing that he was doing. That someone would bring him along, he would have to beg, and he would beg for survival, and that was going on. And so, you know, when you're looking at this, you're, you're, asking, a que- oh, well, you know, you're asking a question, and you see the observation that most likely Peter and John and this beggar were running into each other every day. Right? They had to. They probably overlapped each other. They, um, they probably ran into each other. They probably crossed each other's path many times. But the question is, what made this day so different from the rest? Right? And we'll, that's what we'll see in verse 3. It says, When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked, at it, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. So what made this day different from the rest? Well, pretty much Peter and John actually stopped to pay attention to the need that was actually in front of them. They stopped to pay attention to this beggar and actually made a difference in his life. And and I bring this up because I think in the same way there are many of us here where God wants us to pay attention to, to the needs of the people that are in front of us. And he actually wants to use you to actually make a difference. And I know some of you guys are like, me? I was like, yeah, you. God wants to use you to make a difference. For example, uh, for example uh, one of the places that I would never expect to make a difference in is a place called uh, spot dessert bar because I mean what does a dessert bar and a pastor have in common right like it, it doesn't it. Um, and it's been a really interesting journey and it's been a really interesting relationship between um, you know the people in spot dessert and, and myself because um, a couple of years ago we worked together and we've been working to collaborate to you know add value and help people um, well students in NYU you know perpetuating and bringing awareness to mental health helping me helping people introduce them to faith and the students to faith in that way and there's been a just a great incredible type of collaboration but it's always been so difficult or i always had a hard time really like uh trying to and wrestle with like how do i reach the people within spot and the employees right It always seemed to be a wall and i couldn't do and it always seemed like there was nothing going on and honestly to tell you the truth this is actually this happened just like you know like five weeks ago, five, six weeks ago, I was just praying about it. I was like, God, like, I don't know what to do are you? What are you doing? I feel like there's nothing that was moving in that place. There was nothing going on. And I was journaling about it, and I was reflecting on it, and I was praying about it. And to be honest with you, this is crazy. But once I, once I actually finished that you know journal entry, that prayer, I immediately get a text from one of the managers in SPOT. And he goes, Billy? he goes I just want to let you know I really appreciate and respect all the things that you've done uh, with our company you know with our team and you know and I I really appreciate how much you have loved and cared and shared uh, the students and about their faith and their life and their journey Um, and I just and I just want to let you know that I actually have questions myself you know he goes you know I've overheard you talk about it every time you know you spend $800 on our, you know, uh, like a, every fall and spring to, you know, reach out to the students. And at this time in my life right now, I, I want to know if you have any times to ha- answer some of the questions that I have in my, in my faith. Guys, whenever I read that, I was just blown away. Because this guy was someone that I would never have expected before. Um, I rarely even talked to him about faith. But here he is. You know reaching out to me texting me about wanting to know about God and you know the reason why I want to I share this with you guys is because there's actually so many people in our sphere of influence and people around us that are looking for God and need for God that we don't even know that's there but we just have to pay attention to and they're around us you know uh, for example There is a research that's going on. Well, not research, but there's a statistic that's going on, and it's by Redeemer City to City. Um, If you guys don't know what Redeemer City to City is, it's probably one of the largest, or I think the largest, uh, church planting organizations uh, that plant churches in metropolitan cities. right? And they did a a statistic on New York City itself, and they said only 5% of the people in this city actually profess their lives. Uh, as Christians now think about that five percent five you know I'm Asian I kind of know how to do math so that means 95 percent of people in this city don't know God 95 percent of the people people don't have uh, uh, or have a very little framework for God and most of them are probably looking for it and you know when I looked at that you know what I realized that that means new york city is actually a mission field you know and you know what when i hear and, and i'm sure for some of you guys that grew up in church when you hear the word mission field right you think of a third world country right you know that's what i did and that's what i thought you know when i was growing up cuz i grew up in the church and so when we we when we had when we were talking about missions right we talked about a mission trip and i went to mexico and i ate mango sherbets. I don't know how it was a mission trip because we were just you it was actually more of a vacation than anything else and what we would do we would go there you know give these little kids haircuts you know uh, help them along um, uh, with whatever church like uh, we were pretty much laborers pretty much at the end of the day and what we would do is just give these little pamphlets um, and speak broken Spanish to you know the community around and we would actually end and pat ourselves in the back, saying that we did a really good job. You know, that that's what kind of missions, uh, the or the idea of missions was when you know growing within the new church, right? But I want to tell you that missions and the mission field is not really just in the third world country where people don't know God, but the mission and the mission field is actually here in New York City where we live and breathe. And you know what that actually means? That for all of us who profess ourselves to be Christian, we're actually a missionary. Tell somebody, and so tell the person next to you, you're a missionary. You're a missionary. You're a missionary. You're, you're a missionary. Meaning that you're just not a Christian that, that just happens to just go to work, get paid, eat brunch, and go to sleep. You know, and then go to church in small group. No. If you're a Christian and you profess to be a follower of Christ, your primary call, you're a missionary. And what you really are at the end of the day, at the core, is you're a mission in in your work. You're a missionary in your occupation. You're a missionary in your school. You know, when you meet with your family and when you hang out with your friends. That is the primary call that you are and what you have and what we're, we're called to be. We're a missionary in this city. And so that means in, in whatever sphere of influence that we have, or whatever that looks like differently in your lives, where you go into the routine moments of the everyday of your lives, you are a missionary in that place and you're called to be an influence to make a difference. Like for example, um, Dr. Sammy, uh, Andrew Rowe, and Andrew Lee went um, um, and they're planning to create a clinic within Chinatown, right? Why, why, are we, why are we trying to create a clinic in a faith-based hospital in the heart of Chinatown, right? Because there, we actually see a need for so many people that don't have access to health care and we want to help provide that need. Why do we want to help provide that need? One, to actually just help them live and survive, but also fundamentally it's because that's also within our sphere of influence, right? It is something that we are actually capable of with our gifts and talents and what we're stewarding it so that we could actually show them the love of Christ, because that's something that we're able, we're capable of, and um, capable of, and actually show the love of God in that way. Because we're meant to make a difference in the city. And what I want to say to you guys is that it doesn't have to be that big or that grand. Maybe it is. Maybe you feel uh, that convicted about doing something that big or or that wide in your life. But what I'm saying is that. Um, we're called as Christians to actually make a difference. And I believe that there's probably some of us here who see that need within as we go in every day in our lives. You know, we see that need and we're convicted by it. And I believe that God wants you to pay attention to it because He probably wants you to make actually a difference to it. And so for some of us, it might actually be making a difference in healthcare. For some of you guys, it might actually be making and changing a, a difference in. You know, you know, psychology or mental health. Or it could be something as very micro as, you know, meeting the needs of your friend that is just struggling with just depression, that's having a hard time and a hard day, or a coworker that is curious about God or is wondering about God, and all you need to do is just simply be there and just pray for them. You know, God is calling each and every one of us to look and pay attention to make a difference. So what is the first point? What does it look like to walk... At, uh, in our call every day in your life is this. Pay attention to the sphere of influence in your life. So my question to you guys is that is, what is it? What does that look like? What is the needs that you see? And what are the needs that God wants you to pay attention to? And I know some of you guys are uh, saying to yourself, Peeves, that's actually nice. That's great that, and that's exciting that that's going on in your life or these other people's lives and what actually is going in their lives. But me, I can't do that. You know, if I were to be in that position and if I were to do that, I would totally mess it up. Right? How many of you guys feel like that? Right? We do that, right? Right? And you know, I, I want to bring this up because I've been talked to a couple of a uh, couple of you guys, and, and that's always a struggle. Like the struggle of evangelism, the struggle of reaching out and uh, and doing something and being active and being immersed in people's lives. That's always the that's part of that's one of the, the fundamental barriers of uh, why you are afraid to move things. And it's not because and I know that it's not because our heart doesn't care, but we think that we because it's too precious and too important, we don't want to screw it up. Right. And I understand that, because even as myself, as a pastor, I feel that all the time. Especially, like you guys have an excuse, right? Like let's say you're going to meet up with somebody and you want to try to talk to them about God and the love of God and you mess up. At least you could say, hey, I don't know much about it. But for me, I struggled with that. And I feel so insecure about that because I have a seminary degree. I'm supposed to be, uh, I'm supposed to know about God. But for me, and if you guys have known me for a long time, I say stupid things all the time <laughs> I probably offended half of you guys here one way or another and what if I offend someone else and and push them away from God that is scary but you know what I read I was listening to a theologian um, and he said this he said if there's anything worth doing it's worth doing poorly and I want to uh, tell that to the person next to you that if there's anything worth doing is worth doing poorly and so that's what I did I challenged myself to actually this is the first time I actually challenged someone to give their life to Christ and guess what I did it very poorly there was someone um, that was investigating our church a long time ago uh, and you know, I, you know I, I kept bringing him to church you know I hung out with him we built a relationship um, but every time I would try to, you know, bring that question up, it would be very elusive, you know? And, you know, people, you know, millennials, we like to be elusive, so we just skirt the issue. We don't really <laughs> say anything, noncommittal, all that kind of stuff. And this is the, the, the battle that was going back and forth. But, you know, when I heard that statement, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So what I did was I drove him home, and I locked the doors. <laughs> <laughs> and I said... You are not going to leave this car until you give me an answer. Do you want to give your life to Christ? He's like, I gotta go home, okay? I gotta work the next day. He was like, no. He tried to unlock it, I locked it. It was one of those old cars, that so I locked it. <laughs> and he's like, oh my gosh, I need to go home. He goes, No, you're not gonna give me, a, you're not gonna leave this place until you give your life to Christ. He goes, fine. I gave my life, fine, I give my life to Christ. Can I go home now? I was like, okay, fine, you can go now. <laughs> His name is Dave Cam, and he's still here by the grace of God. <laughs> by the grace of God, he's still here. So, for a word of advice, don't do what I did, please. Don't put anyone hostage. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but secondly, I, I want to share that to you because me as a pastor, I mean, I don't know if you could do anything worse. Maybe you can do worse now, but that's pretty bad. Right? <laughs> that's pretty bad. And even even as me doing the <laughs> Doing a witness so poorly, God still used it. And you know what? It's worth it, guys. Let me tell you: if if the if the lost is that precious to Jesus, it's worth us doing poorly. It's us worth making mistakes. It's worth us being in the mess. It's worth us not knowing fully what's going on and immersing ourselves, because it's because every person that doesn't know God is worth meeting connecting and paying attention to and whatever needs that you see whether it's social you know whether uh, whether it's spiritual whether it's physical and the needs that god is convicting you it's worth doing it's worth it's worth immersing into and it's worth involving ourselves in everything that we can because it is something that god truly cares about and you know that's what we actually see in this passage right with peter and john right look what it says It says this, it says when Peter and John was about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. walk." So the dude was asking for money. Peter and John didn't have any money. right? But in that moment he didn't go, oh sorry dude, I don't have any money so I can't help you out. You know, he didn't look at what they didn't have. They didn't look at um, what they were missing. They didn't look at what they were limited in or, or what they lacked. But they gave what they already knew. And that was Jesus himself. And that actually exceeded the expectations of what was going on. You know, I want to tell you guys this, is that you might not be the sm- You and I might not be the smartest, right? We might not be the most talented. We might not be the, the greatest. But the truth is, your relationship with Christ is more than enough no matter how small or insignificant it might be or it might appear to be that is enough difference to actually make a difference because it is not what makes you and i great that you know that we make a difference but it actually because of our relationship with god and because he's great and he is awesome and he is powerful that we have the ability and the power to actually do something uh, that actually tangibly changes the peop- uh, our sphere of influence around us. You know, to, to frame this, I, I just want to say it this way. like, For example, um, how many, like, why do people like to wear Jordans? Right? Why do people like to wear Jordans? Because a lot of people think that if they wear Michael, uh, Michael Jordan sneakers in the basketball court, they could play like Mike, right? Like, for example, why do people wear Supreme? I hate Supreme, by the way. But why do people hate I'm naive. Why do people want to wear Supreme? They would spend $150 on a brick that says Supreme on it, wear these clothes that they don't even look good, right? But they're willing to spend $80 to like, I don't know, like $3,000, like an $80 t shirt or $3,000 like bubble jacket that just says Supreme all over it. And I'm just like, that's not even, that doesn't even look nice, right? Sorry. My rant on Supreme, but but people love it, right? Why do people wear it? Because they think that by wearing those things, it would give them confidence to be pretty cool, right? Or why do or why do people want to go to Harvard, Columbia, Stanford, or associate with them, right? But by connecting with them and associating them, there's a sense of prestige and success, right? So. Uh, I'll give you a personal example. Uh, so obviously, Dr. Sammy you know, is a fellow in Harvard and all that stuff, and you know, he gave me a gift, and he gave me a gift, um, and it was a sweater that had Harvard in it. And to to, be, to tell you the truth, when I was wearing it, I felt really smart afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> Honestly, I felt far from the truth because I'm like, why am I? Why are you giving me a gift, a, a, a sweater that said Harvard in it? I like, I didn't earn that. You did, right? It's like. Like, I felt like a fraud wearing it. I felt really insecure. I, I had imposter syndrome because it's like, I'm not the one wearing I'm like, I'm not the one, um, like, that got into this. I got rejected, you know, like, in many different schools. Like, there's no, I, I'm not going to wear this, right? But you know what? Dr. Sammy told me something that really gave me perspective, and, and it really illuminated a lot of things. He goes, you know, he goes, he goes it's actually interesting. There's only, there's a, there's a hidden rule about wearing Harvard stuff. I was like, oh, what's the rule? He goes, there's only two, people, two kinds of people that are allowed to wear Harvard. One is you actually have to go into the school, which makes sense. And the second thing is you have to be in relationship with someone that actually has gone to the school. And you know what? Once he said that, I wore that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I rocked that. And you know what? I started wearing red. And you see right over here, I got red pants. You know, I started wearing red because it was not because I got in because I started getting comfortable. I was like, I know Dr. Sammy; He's my pastor. He went to Harvard so I can wear this. I know it's a funny example, but it's true. You know, what gives us power and authority is not because of our own abilities or our own talents and our own gifts. It's because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not a false association like Jordans or Supreme. Because even if you wear Jordans, you might still suck at basketball. I still, I wear Jordans. I'm terrible in basketball, <laughs> right? You, even though you might wear Supremes, you're still not cool, right? But when you but you when you wear uh, the when you wear the, and walk in the name of Christ, because you know your relationship with Jesus Christ, it makes all the difference. There is a confidence that comes in you, and there's a boldness that comes in you because you know that through Christ. You are called and you are meant to actually make a difference in your life and on other people's lives. And that is the truth of the gospel. So there was one time where I, I, I wore it and I was in Chinatown and this guy just bumped me and my Staten Island kind of like attitude came out. I, I was about to like, yo bro, kind of thing. And what did he bump me because he was wearing a Harvard shirt too and he goes, he goes, <laughs> and I went. <laughs> 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 And he goes, you go to Harvard? And he goes, no, but my pastor does. And he goes, right on, brother. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this works. <laughs> and the truth is, guys, when the, the needs that you see that you pay attention to, and you walk in the confidence of Christ, and you walk in the activation of your relationship, there are things that will change in your sphere of influence. And I promise you that, because that is what's happened in this text. That has happened in 2,000 years, and that's what he wants to do in your life you are called to actually make a difference. So what is the second point? Live in the confidence that you are called to make a difference in the name of Jesus. I wanna finish with this story. There is actually, there's a big knucklehead in our church. Uh, He's not the brightest, he's not the smartest. Um, He even says that himself. His name is Jonathan. (laughs) I love it, Jonathan. You know, it's the law of magnetism, okay? Because he says stupid things all the time. And I think that's how Jonathan and I can relate. <laughs> and I understand John. I'm like, yeah, I totally get you, man. But you know there's one thing I, I love about Jonathan, and, and, I, and, and that's why I'm bringing him up. Um, he fully embraces his sphere of influence. And it's really interesting. He told me a story just recently, because he just graduated, and he works at Xi'an uh, food. So it's really delicious, by the way. But he works at Xi'an's food, And you know, he goes, Peeves, this is really weird. And I go, what's going on? He goes, you know. like." They want to promote me as like an assistant manager. And I was like, what's so weird about that? He said, Peebs, I'm the youngest. And they want to promote me as an assistant manager. I'm like, okay, so then why why is that? He goes, "Well, I guess even though I'm the youngest, like I guess I really add value to the company. I really take care of the employees. I like really help them out. Um and I, uh, and I look out for them and they really see that and they're like, wow. Like, I think you could you could actually do something great and you have potential to do that and 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 he goes but Peeves this is what's even more interesting about this he asked me he, you know he asked them sorry they asked him there you go they asked him it's like what makes you so different from the other assistant manager or the manager because we don't like them we want to work with you mm-hmm. and you know I had to tell them like it's like honestly I just told them I learned all these things from church <laughs> I was like, really you said that and he goes yeah but it's the truth, peeps, like, a lot of these leadership and management stuff and dealing with people, I actually learned that from church. And, they're, and they were really surprised when I said that. They're like, church? I was like, you go to church? He goes, yeah, I go to church. And I learned a lot of things from church. And then all of a sudden, they want to know about my story. And then they want to know about why I, go to, why I believe what I believe and why I believe in God. And for some reason, I started telling my testimony. <laughs> And now they want to come to church, and I'm like, I don't want to see you. I already work with you. I don't want to see you on Sunday. But folks, I want to get, uh, the truth is, that's what it means to actually be an influence in your sphere of influence. That's what it means to make a difference. And it doesn't have to be that grand. It doesn't have to be that big. It could be something that's very simple and personal in the everyday routine of the people that you see in your life. Because the truth is, there are so many people here that are looking for God. I want to invite you into that because what can our church look like if we start engaging in and believing in confidence, even though of our limited knowledge of our, our, our theology or even our own understanding of our personal lives of who God is, and just doing just a little bit of that and trusting that God will take care of the rest. I think a lot of things will change, and I think, our, and I think we'll see beautiful things that actually happen in our lives. I want to invite you to that. Will you pray with me? Please
1: stand. Father, we come before you this afternoon and we acknowledge what Pastor Billy shared with us today, the Word of God, that when we look throughout a pattern and a motif all throughout the 66 of the books of the Bible, we don't see an aristocracy creating the church or the strongest or the smartest. But you take the obscure, a nomadic tribe called Israel, a man seventy five, named Abraham, and begin a new nation. And you know, I'm as a he was just preaching today I just thought about what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 that that started monotheism he says I will make you into a great nation I will bless you I will prosper you I will fight for you in the end that comes to a promise of God's power moving through people that are not perfect but people who say yes So today, if you're imperfect, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you're super imperfect, raise two hands. Raise two hands. Okay, good. That's you right there. Right to you. You're imperfect. So we're going to ask God right now together with two hands. Say, God, use my imperfections as a jars of clay to carry the treasure of Christ. And God, do what you've promised Abraham. And you know, even the Jews, Israel, that did not majority end up believing in Jesus. God fulfilled his promises to Abraham, saying, I will bless you and make you into a great nation. Okay, the last time I checked, Jewish people own Hollywood and investment banking. In fact, I think Harris was hired by a Jewish person. At J.P. Morgan, I mean, (laughs) God keeps his promises to those, even in an endographic level, God keeps his promises to a nation. Imagine the promise he will keep to his sons and daughters in his family, in the kingdom of God. So a lot of us could say, well, I don't have the words. I I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the knowledge. We can have all these excuses. But evangelism, in the end, mission is not about skills. It's about faithfulness and obedience to the call of God. So will you ask God today to, to use you to connect people back to God? In your sphere of influence, whether that's in a restaurant or the academy, whether that's hospitals or in medicine, whatever it might be, education, God, use me to represent you well. A lot of us in this room are missing out. I mean, don't you, I mean, aren't you millennials? Don't you hate missing out? That's the whole point, right? FOMO. (laughs) You don't want to miss out on anything. Let me just tell you, some of us are missing out of the greatest adventure and pleasure in our lives because we struggle with perfectionism. I don't know why a generation adulting always struggles with perfectionism, but you do. And and a lot of people don't start things. I mean, some of you uh, won't start actually what you're most competent in and what you're most gifted in, and actually a place where you could rise to a amazing, incredible level because you think that when you start, you have to do it perfectly. Right, even selfies. I mean, you gotta like take a thousand selfies to get a good one. <laughs> I mean, if you're in like the better-looking side, maybe 500. <laughs> but like, um, I mean, if you never start, you can never grow, and, that, and that's the whole idea of what, if you're gonna do something, do it poorly. Meaning, when you begin something, you're going to do it poorly because everybody has to have a learning curve. Everybody has to learn, and you can never improve. Right? Success is between failure and success, and, and, and be, between the goal, the gap. And, and one of the things 180 treasures is those stories that Peeps told, right? People finding God, not because we're great, because the message, the treasure is great. And God will use us, but we have to start. And today I pray that that would be the verdict, that the end of this gathering, all of us are going to start using our influence to connect people back to God. Amen? Mm -hmm. So let's pray together right now. Let's ask God for this in our lives. Father, we pray that we would start Using what you've given us in our life. And some of us are asking, honestly, here for fame. And we're not even using the gifts you've given us. Some of us are asking for more money, but we're not even using any assets you've given us. And you're like, bro, (laughs) why are you asking for more when you can't even manage the little I've given you? So today, will you take it upon yourself to say, God, I want to use every gift that you've given me to glorify you in my life. And then you'll see a measure of greater grace taking place in your life. Tell the Lord, Lord, I want that in my life. You did your part. Help me do mine. So, Lord, I pray uh, this afternoon you would change some lives, starting with us. We would experience the greatest adventure in being used by you, bringing life change into people's lives and adding value. And I pray these gatherings would be about how God used you. Not how God used me, but how God used you. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. All God's people say, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.
2: everyone, we just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today. We want to invite you to join us for our Sunday service. We meet at the AMC Lowe's Theater at 19th and Broadway in Manhattan at 12 noon, and we'd love to see you guys there. We also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests. It's available at 539-7-PRAYER and at prayer at 180church.tv. In the midst of life, if you need prayer, our team is available to lift you up in your struggles, and we're always there for you. You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv.